All right, well, good morning again, and uh, what God had put on my heart to preach about today is the subject of faith. And my hopes isn't to define what faith is for you, though I will define it, but my, my, my point of doing this is to encourage the saints, encourage believers to live life by faith, and what that looks like in your life. So I'm going to take this shotgun approach to a couple of the of the epistles and books in the Bible to kind of describe that to you and encourage you. So I'm going to start in James chapter 1. I just got done, it took me two years because I only went once a month to preach in a little uh, church in Elk Mountain, but I finally made it through James and because uh, I kind of had to because they were shutting things down, which was something I pray about. Uh, there's nobody filling that little community church right now. So you could pray for Elk Mountain. But in James chapter 1, to kind of start this conversation off where we're headed, James says this, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you have faith in Christ today, you need to know that God has made you a promise. He's going to test that faith for an end, and that end being completeness and perfection. And that is the point of it, at least the point of living by faith. Just to define a little bit about what's going on here. James is preaching to a dispersion of Jews that have been persecuted and flown out or dispersed out of Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 8, this happens. And Saul comes on the scene. Great persecution. People are dispersed. And he's writing to those believers. In those trials, wherever they're at. A lot like our church, right? We have just continually dispersing people out of this church. And currently, we're going through one of those phases where they're Really, people are leaving, not because of persecution, because of God leading people, but the same thing occurs. Like, now the question remains, how am I going to live by faith? What am I going to do? Jimmy challenged us a couple weeks ago, like I had said, like, where is your part in all this? If you're part of this church, you're a member here, what does that mean for you? Are you praying about being involved? Are you praying about being an active member of this, of this church? Because God wants your faith to grow. We oughtn't be satisfied with the status quo. We oughtn't be satisfied with maintaining where we are. And I hope to develop that picture for you, sculpt this picture of faith of what we see Old Testament saints doing, New Testament saints doing, what their vision was, what they were trying to accomplish. And all that, and this shotgun approach of that, is what that means for us. So let me just... Just say this, James writes this beautiful book about faith and how it actively is lived out in your life. How do we live this way? I hope to point just a few things out there. I mean, I'm, it's not going to be hugely in depth, but some things I think hopefully really encouraging and helpful for you. So, but first, let me just define it. What does faith mean? What does faith mean? The word used for faith here in James simply just means to put trust in. Your complete trust in something. 
And that would imply some kind of action from you because you trust in God, right? The gospel. And it implies a state of complete dependability. So in other words, what are you dependent upon? If you say you have faith, what do you have faith in? And are you dependent upon that? Because that's what the word means. My hope is that if you're here today, Christian, if you're a Christian, that your hope and your trust is in Jesus Christ. God himself coming to earth, living a perfect life, and sacrificing himself on your behalf, being buried and rose again. That's where my hope lies. I'm assuming that if you walked in these doors, you're either interested in that or you know that. Do you have faith in that? Do you understand that if you have said that you have faith in God, you are saying, I'm completely and utterly dependent and trusting God and him alone and nothing else? In one dictionary I, wrote, I, I read just about defining faith, it said, faith is the beginning of a relation to God, not an end. In other words, there's progression. And I think when we read Romans and we see what Paul wrote, we see what James wrote, we see what Hebrews chapter 11 wrote, we see there is a progression. There is an end point somewhere else that we're headed towards. And when we look at biblically at faith in the scriptures, I just wanted to give you some, some of those things that how God is defining it for you, how he had people write it down. First of all, it's a gift for you. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, this faith is a gift. In Romans 5, it's going to say that we obtain grace because of this faith. This undeserved merit, right? God paying the penalty for you. Allowing you to be a part of what he's doing. Grace justifies you, or I'm sorry, faith justifies you. Makes you just before God. It gives you peace before God. When you say, I have faith in God, this is what you're accepting. This is what you believe. This is what you're saying. It upholds the law in Romans 3. In Hebrews 11, it's going to say it's the only way to please God. By faith. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. So I'm hoping that to sculpt an idea for you to develop what this faith that you have is and what does it look like in your life. And so some definition, some verses from the scripture. Hopefully this will start making sense to you. When Paul writes in Romans, he, he writes a similar idea if the same idea as James. And I want to point out something that I was looking at and even from small group this week. This is what Paul writes, I feel like an introductory and a closing to his letter to the Romans. He says in verse, uh, chapter one, verse five, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, he's writing to bring about the obedience of faith. Why do I think that? Well, he ends it the same way. In chapter 16 of Romans, in 26, he's going to say, 
but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is writing for this process to happen, this obedience of faith. James is writing for the same concern. He's just writing from the fact that you're going to suffer. There's going to be trials, but don't get overwhelmed because that's for completeness and maturity in Christ. In 16, chapter 1, verse 16 of Romans, Paul is going to write, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Faith isn't the, be- isn't the end. It's the beginning to an end. It's a, something that's going to grow, mature, be, can be complete in your life. He finishes that verse by saying, uh, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk, chapter 2. Habakkuk is prophesying about 80 or so years, some decades before Babylon will come and exile the people of Israel. Before this great trial is going to come, he's saying the righteous will live by faith. Even in the Old Testament, when trials and suffering comes, they understand that righteousness will rise up. And people will live by faith. But why is all that? And how do you do that? That's what I hope to bring about to you guys today. Hopefully we can together converse and talk about this and see what's happening. Because in James, we have this idea that this faith is going to be tested and you're going to stand in it and you're going to become complete and mature, lacking nothing. We're going to be told in the New Testament that we ought to live by faith, not by sight. God desires that for us. And the closest thing we have to what faith is defined as as far as a scripture is concerned is Hebrews 11.1. So I just want to take a look at that. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Are you sure what you hope for? Are you sure of what you hope for? What do you hope for? Those are questions to ask yourself. Because I'll get to that, but this life is so cumbersome. So much stuff is going on. Jobs, relationships, families growing, busyness, busyness of life. It's all there. And so that's really my heart of, the, of, of my message is that in the midst of everything that is going on in your life, how do we live by faith? How do we live a life that is completely and utterly dependent upon God himself. That's the point. And so now Hebrews is going to start this chapter about faith, and it's going to bring in this close tie to hope. Your hope, what do you hope in? Well, I kind of want to go back to Romans as we do this kind of a shotgun effect again, that know that faith is closely tied to hope. And in Romans, uh, he's gonna, Paul is going to write about Abraham a little bit, and, and this is what he's going to say. He's going to say, for in hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For we have hope 
for what we, or who has hope for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it patiently. So we're looking for this thing that's ahead of us, something that we can't see. He's going to be clear about Abraham and his story about Abraham and Romans. He's going to be clear about what that is because in Genesis 12, he makes a promise to Abraham about this land, about being this father of nations, about this seed, being blessing to all nations. When Paul writes about it, he's going to say Abraham hoped against all hope. He said Abraham fixed his eyes on what was the promise of God. And in in later years in his life, when he was too old to have kids, his wife was too old to have kids, God gave them a child because he believed in God. And that was credited to him as righteousness. That was his faith. Completely and utterly dependent upon God. What does it say about it? In Romans uh, Oh, I, just, I do want to add this. You know, he's going to talk about in Romans 4 that very thing. And in 22 of chapter 4, he's going to say that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness because he believed God's promise. But those words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Ours also. Do you believe the promises of God, essentially, that's so what he's saying. Do you believe what God has promised you? And do you know what God has promised you? Do you know God has promised you eternal life? We often say, Pastor Paul will preach, preaching up here on the, on, the, on the pulpit on Sundays. He'll say, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. And where was Christ going? To a place of sacrifice, right? This is something he's commonly saying. I'd like to add that to your vision. That Christ was buried and he rose again. And the promise for you is that you get to share in that blessing. That's what the first part of Ephesians is about. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, adopted as sons. You get to share in that promise. And I think in this busy life and what happens to us is that we forget that we have that promise. And partly is because we can't see it. So where's your hope and where's your faith and how does that deal with that life circumstance, right? How's it, how's it intertwined into what is going on day by day? Relationships you have, sin that's going on in your life, and so on. Jobs, people, things, busyness. How's it all add up? I'm gonna read some of chapter 11. Before I get there, just a little illustration about hope, okay? Remember that Abraham is, is promised something and he's going towards it. He's going to obtain it because of God's promise. He's walking in faith because of God's promise. But in this cumbersome life, we see that sometimes, like I was saying, that it's just, you can't see the top of the mountain because of the trees, valleys, or whatever's in front of you. And I got reminded of that when I went to on a hike with my family and I had 10-year-olds or younger with me. We had five of those and four adults. We went to a place called Duck Creek Falls. I don't know if you have ever heard of it, but it's this little waterfall, little, I guess it's 50 foot or so out in the middle of nowhere, kind of west of Highway 34 near Laramie Peak or out in that area. I can't even tell you where it is. I don't even know how I found it. Um, 
but it was about one and three-quarter mile hike, okay? And on the way to the falls, the, the first 400 yards is a, is a descent that's really steep. It's one of those mountain, mountain sides that you, when you climb back up it, you take a few feet and you stop and breathe because it takes your breath away. But once you get down the valley, it's this nice little hike and you go to the falls. We had a good time, found it with a lot of, with hardly any ticks, one tick. But anyways, the point is that we're on our way back. My daughter was really tired. She's six. And my wife and I knew that we'd probably be packing her out on our back on this ascension out. But she said she could do it. She could see she was flushed. She had a headache. She was tired. She was sweating. And we decided to start ascending the mountain. And we did for about 100 feet. And I saw in her face, she was lucid, arms were flapping. And I thought, I got to say something. I got to say something to her. And I said, Haley, why don't you look up the mountain and pick a tree, a stump, or a rock that's not too far away and get up and walk to it and take a rest. And before long, she was doing that. She was taking my advice and she was setting goals and she was hitting these rocks, these stumps, and she wouldn't even, uh, after a few, she wouldn't rest. She was so excited about seeing the next, op- next place that she could go, she would sit, pick it, go, all the way up the mountain. But I think life is like that sometimes. We know where we're headed as Christians. But because of the tiredness and everything that's going on, my instruction to you would be pick a place to go by faith, by God's word, and go. Knowing what the end is. But you have to take the step because it's too easy to look at the end and not really be able to see it, but you know what it is from God's word. And life is just so tiring. Sin gets involved, wherever that is in your life. Jobs, relationships, people, all of it. But start the ascension. Know this about God and about faith. I want to read to you chapter 11, verse 8 in Hebrews. Just a little bit of verses here, and then we'll skip some, but just just listen. In verse 8, he says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as, a foreign, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him, the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has a foundation whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, and as many as the stars of the heavens and many as innumerable, grain, innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. These all died. All these people that this Hebrew author is talking about, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, from a distance, a distance in time, right? And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, 
They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God has prepared a place for you. This earth isn't it. Do you believe that? When's the last time you thought about that? I know it's difficult because that's what I'm trying to paint the picture for you. Life gets in the way of that vision of what you know is going to happen. You accept Christ because you want life, not death. That's what John 5.24 tells us. If you believe in him, you cross over. You understand your nature. That's what Paul is writing about in Romans. You understand your nature without God. Nobody fears God. Nobody seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You understand your need for a Savior. And so you, God gives you this gift and you put your faith and trust in God. Not for a moment. Not for a moment. For your life. Right? That's the gospel. Paul will feel so strongly about it that at one point he says, this is my gospel. When's the last time you thought about it like that? Christ died for you personally. What's your gospel? If I asked you what is your gospel, what would you tell me? Hopefully it'd be along the lines of your testimony, how God entered into your life and revealed your heart to you and said, I will pay it for you. The price for you to pay is death. I'll die for you if you believe in me, if you confess in me. Call me Lord. I'll save you. That's your gospel. That's what he says. And because of that, not only are we going to the cross and we're going to suffer and see this faith be mature and complete, but we're going to a place that he developed, he built, and has waiting for us. This city that's not our own. I'm convinced that this is what I lose sight of. I'm convinced that we live mediocre lives because we allow the business of lives, of our lives out here, get in the way of what we are to accomplish and what we are, where we are heading. So as I go back to James, this is where I think James gives us great insight on how to make that happen. I'm going to do, I'm going to do one out of Hebrews 12 and I'm going to do two out of James chapter 1. Now remember, James writes a whole book about faith. So there's more. I want to leave you with three things I think are really important. In James chapter 1, after what I read to you when I started, that the steadfastness, this testing of your faith is going to develop completeness, right? The next paragraph is going to say this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask with faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. In other words, if you don't have wisdom about how to get to the end, how to navigate life, then you should ask God for wisdom. And you should do that by faith and you should not doubt. But that's what faith means, right? 
It's utter dependence upon God, not doubting. We completely trust him. So do you live by faith? Do you ask God by faith? Because if you don't, he says you're like a wave of the sea, you're tossed, and you're not going to receive anything from the Lord. So there's clear instruction on how to approach God. How do you walk in faith? How do you see this faith become mature? This complete dependence on God, how do you see it? Well, you ask, and you believe it. You trust that God will give you an answer. The answer may not be what you want or when you would want it, but it will come if you believe it. It's a promise of God. So just as Abraham believed in the promise, believe God. In verse 22, I'd like, well, let me just step back. I'd like to add this too about asking God for wisdom. there will be other people in your life that would like to give you wisdom. And sometimes it could be really good godly counsel. But seek God for wisdom first. It may not be this way in your household if you have kids, but it is in mine. I could be sitting, reading a book to my kid and spending time with them for the last half hour. But when they have a question about what's going to happen next, they'll get off the couch, run across the house yelling, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy to ask her the question because she spends the most time with them. They trust her. And often she'll say, well, your dad was sitting right there. Why didn't you ask him? Right? Is that, I don't know if that's familiar in your house or not, but it's in mine that way. We should be going to the one who can give wisdom, bypassing the other people. Go to God. Ask for wisdom. Prayer. Number two. So that's number one. Ask God for wisdom. Two, look intently into the word of God. James will also encourage the dispersion, these people who are out and about and suffering. He'll encourage them this way in 122. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. There's some common language there. Remember to look intently into the word of God. Common language about faith. Faith has this trust in something that urges you on to action. That's just what the word means. It implies dependability on God or on something. What's your faith? If faith is in God, you're dependent upon God, you trust in God, and it should move you into action. That's what you're telling people when you have faith. And so I want to encourage you this way. One, you don't always have wisdom. Things are going on. Ask for wisdom. Two, look intently into the word of God and know what it says. Know what the word of God says. Open the word of God, read it, and know what it says. It's telling you something. God penned it for you. Know what it's saying for your life. I'm not asking you to outline something, to teach somebody else something. I'm just asking you and begging you, please open your Bible and read it and know what it says for you. Ask God, what does this mean for me, God? What should I do? 
Help me fix my eyes on you. And that would bring me to the third one. In in, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, he says this in verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Every weight. I think so when I read this just plainly, you would have to ask yourself, God, what is weighing me down from keeping me from fixing my eyes on you? That's an honest question, a, a real question you have to ask yourself because it's between you and God. I, unless we spend a lot of time together, I couldn't help you in that. But are you honest enough to ask God that question? Are you serious enough about depending upon God to ask him for wisdom, to look intently into his word and lay off everything that is entangling you, everything that's hindering you, everything that's encumbering you from following and fixing your eyes on Christ. That's how I'd like to encourage you this morning, church. With much change, with much busyness of life, these things are hard to see. This idea of where we're going. So what does faith look like lived out? That's, these are three ways in which faith looks like lived out in your life. These are what faithful people do. Do you do those and do you mean it? Do you believe it? So hopefully that's an encouragement to you. It is an encouragement to me. It was very convicting. A lot of times we don't do this. I know because I'm, I'm, what I'm asking for you is not just for major events in your life, okay? I'm talking about every intricacy of your life. In other words, I'll say it for you. How you speak to somebody requires faith, right? How you live, how you do relationships, how you serve a boss, how you go about your life, every little thing requires faith. Every little thing that you do requires complete dependability upon God. Doing it outside of that may go okay for a bit, but what it does is throws you off the path of which you were supposed to be headed. Because things may not always go the way you want. Conversations, raises, life, families, So many different things. So I'm not only just talking about faith on a large scale, like big decisions, like what should I do in the next 10 years? Where am I going? I'm talking about everything, every thought, every word needs to be committed to God's word, to looking intently into it, to asking God for wisdom. And if there's something that's hindering you from doing that, to lay it off. So I encourage you that way, church, what real faith looks like. And I know that I'm just scratching the surface. I wanted to encourage you with those three things this morning. And let me pray for us. God, thanks for this day. Thanks for this day that we come and worship. Worship our King. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you for my family here. Thank you for all those who have gone. This church experiences people leaving and coming all the time. And so God, I know that you're faithful. I know that you're faithful even when we're faithless. And God, I, so I pray you would lead in such a way in all our lives that you would draw us close to you. You would give us strength. You would encourage us to lay off the things that are hindering us and fix our eyes on you. Lord, it's my desire to see you work, to know you more, and to see you high and lifted up. Thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.